0: Okay, great. Okay, so one, two, three. <laughs> hey everyone, we're back in, in a second episode of Totally Planned where all the episodes are planned to the last detail. Today, <laughs> I'm here with my co-host, Dio Hi. and the amazing Martina Spans. She is here with us today and I would love you to introduce yourself. To all myself. right.
1: First of all, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Always great to have a nice, a nice banter and conversation. Yeah, so my name is Martina. I've been working in the games industry for about 15, 16-ish years. Always on the commercial side of things. So first as a buyer of Flash games, way back in the web days. And then for the last 10 years, also, as a publisher of free-to-play mobile games, and we really focus on casual games like match three, hidden objects, simulation games, etc. And since about eighteen months, also we entered the Web three space. We have a couple of play and own games on the Wax blockchain. So that's like a completely new experience. And because that is not enough yet, I'm, I've also taken upon me the role of general manager at the Dutch Games Association since last year. So you have a lot of free time. It's, it's <laughs> a good thing that work and hobby are the same thing, basically. <laughs> like that is that. something
0: that that I think is just connects us. At least the people I know that are everywhere, <laughs> they just have this similar interest to always be doing something that is useful for themselves and others and I think that's a little bit why we wanted to create this right I
2: also think it's a good strategy to always try and aim towards making something that we like part of our job our work Mm. I often see people aiming a little bit aimlessly to, towards the way they approach a job or the type of work they need to do. Of course, when you're starting out, you are doing everything. So whatever you like, you don't like, but, I, but if you guarantee to have something that you like within that space, and for me, it's always having something creative. I think it, it makes, it helps a lot versus what I imagine. I don't really need to imagine. If I go back a couple of years back, like working on a nine to five or something like that is uh, not for me, that's, <laughs> let's just say not for me. Uh, yeah. And,
0: and I like to go on off that. That's like exactly the reason why we met. It was because, like in every event, you're not only like a great speaker, but also you are a great host because you keep being one of the of the people that is. Uh, is there in every panel <laughs> that I think so far i have never been to a conference where we weren't in a panel together or or something similar, and so that was gave that what was like the idea and and the starting point for this thing because just this past January we were a pocket gamer London together, and we did Oscar's amazing fantasy League of p, yeah. <laughs> which was a special experience I would love you to talk about like. Why do you sign up for these things? <laughs> and you just say, yeah, sure, I'll be there. And I have to say, sh- she's the winner of the fantasy <laughs> pitching. <laughs> and she, I prepared nothing.
1: <laughs> and I have these ideas. What's even worse is like I had a little bit prepared and I wrote it down on an old-fashioned piece of paper and I left it at home. I was like, forgot mostly of what I wrote down. It was like, I'll just wing it. <laughs> but uh, yeah
2: i I relate too much with that I relate too much
0: <laughs> I think that's uh, exactly the spirit of things that we do because <laughs> and apparently the spirit of pocket gamer for us all because that's what yoga did to me in 2020.
2: what did I do Mafalda? I didn't do anything
0: <laughs> no, like the so my first pocket gamer was the 2020 edition also in London where it was like the first event where the game dev event where I went as like part of the industry I was like oh I'm an associate producer I'm so excited to be here we had a booth there in the indie area and we were presenting outline out of line at the time and that's the only thing I prepared for that's the only game I knew we had (laughs) and so like first person come to our meeting and Diogo's talked about out of line and did that pitch and then Diogo's like oh but wait there's more there's this new game we never talked about that's called like Smee shop and like I never heard of that before and and he just pitched it to that person. And I'm like, oh, interesting. Winner Monkeys have a new game. And then the second person came in and he was like, oh, now it's your turn, Mafalda. Just pitch that game that you never heard and make it happen. And I'm like, how? I, I didn't even take all the notes. Oh, you'll be I'm fine. Like, Look at this. <laughs> it has like
1: stuff and features.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah i don't even know what game it is but like sounds cool
2: the thing is this is a perspective from mafalda the perspective from mafalda my perspective okay (laughs) my perspective is this is the following when we started working together when i challenged mafalda to work together with me i it was a literal challenge of as much as possible of what i've learned till that point point. And most of my experiences were either impromptu situations, or I had to learn in the moment, trial by fire. And so that's uh, because nobody taught me. I had to learn by myself. I th- that's the only way I know how to teach is uh, making people go through a trial by fire. And and, and she learned a lot. In, in she it was super easy, right, Smofalda? But uh, but uh, the
0: day I knew, like it was, I've done so many of those. So I-, I assume for you it's a little bit like that, right, Martina? Like in the sense of just there are so many events <laughs> that you've been in over the years. We were talking about that before. So what what is like a little bit of the changes that you feel over the years? Like when you start? When was your first experience also of being? Not going to an event, because I've been going to events before as a visitor, right? As a student. But being the person that needs to do the biz dev thing. Yeah, Yeah, I think like my
1: very first events, uh, yeah, I was like joining colleagues. Uh, Like at that time, I was working at Spill Games, which is like a big publisher of web games back then. Like joining colleagues to, what was my first conference? It might even have been GDC, which is really... Yeah. Like diving into the deep immediately. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was GDC because I was hired in May and then they didn't take me to Gamescom, but then they like for GDC the next year, they were like, Oh, you should go. And I think that was like 2007. So this year will be my 14th. Oh no. There was the pandemic in between, but yeah, it will be my, th- am I calculating correctly when I say it will be my 13th GDC, I think. Anyway. Yeah. But like, Quite shortly after already, they were like, oh, you can do this on your own. So I think I actually, when I did my first talk at a conference, I was invited to speak at, nowadays the conference is called DevGam, but back then, because it was all Flash Games, it was called FlashGam. And it was in Kiev, must also have been end of 2007 or something, around October, November or something, and I was invited to speak. And... Yeah, I remember like being very nervous about it and like over preparing everything. But yeah, that was basically I was really thrown into the deep. And it was what also made it quite hard is that because it was in Kiev, there was also I was being live translated. And I remember that the translator I wasn't there yet when my speech was about to start because I was like the first speaker of the day like usually they hire someone who then sits into a separate booth and then speak talks into sort of the audio stuff for people with headphones on so they can can be live transcribed basically but yeah that wasn't the person wasn't there yet they were stuck in traffic so then actually one of the hosts of the conference like stood next to me and I was like Speaking a sentence and then waiting for her to repeat it in Ukrainian. Yeah, I guess you could say that I was like just thrown into the deep like that. Afterwards, people liked it and a lot of people like walked up to me and told me that they found the talk very informative. So I guess I made a right impression there.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the best things when you're like, okay, nervous, go for it. And maybe you think, I would say, so in in Helsinki, when we're doing like the Pesha Kusha, for example, like I. I was like, oh, maybe like this is like too short. It doesn't have anything to show for it. Or are really like people find anything here useful when I did it? And then just like having people coming to you and they're like, oh no. Oh, I never thought about this way, or it was very interesting, or it gives you like a boost for next time. Now it's like, oh, I'm going to do all the conferences, <laughs> and I'm going to speak yeah, everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's, right? it's
1: a good way of profiling <laughs> yourself and showing that you know your stuff, right? it's even if there's if it's a very small room and there's only ten people in that in that room, then at least that the ten were there are really there to listen to you, and you can really make very valuable connections with that. So yeah, I've, I always, almost always say yes to an opportunity to speak somewhere it's because it's it does such great things
2: for networking yes i do now also take every opportunity to do talks but before i was a little bit more afraid of doing that and uh, i've as as i was being pushed to do more talks that i was doing it better and better each time and i was actually making my thoughts my knowledge into a more structured way just i could Taught it to other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, that converted into me wanting to do talks about topics that I know and like, but I don't have an analytical way of presenting them to force me. To make documentation and to put it into black and white. So have you have that experience as well of, uh, okay, I really want to go deeper on this topic? Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Of-, of course, always when I suggest a topic that I talk about, it's already something that I'm interested in and feel knowledgeable about. But always doing the research for a certain talk, there's always more information I come across that... I didn't even know yet or like more fun facts were in it or something. And so, yeah, I'd also applying for a speaking slot that way about that topic up so helps you to really, yeah, it gives you basically a good excuse to dive deeper into a topic you already want to know about. And I have to say, one of the worst talks that I've ever given was about a topic I actually didn't know about. So it was around that time when we were still in Flash games, but we were also pushing for HTML5. So we're really looking for developers of HTML5 games who wanted to publish with us. So then I was again invited to speak and like the management team was like, oh, you really need to talk about HTML5. I was like, I'm more on the commercial side of things, and to be honest, like for me and for our players, it doesn't matter what the game's made in, as long as it's fun. So it was like, oh, if I really need to talk about HTML5, then it probably needs to be like tips for developers if they want to learn HTML5. So I talked to our programmers in our team, and they were like, oh yeah, here's like a list of top ten tips to like to do when you like code in HTML5 and stuff. So. It's like okay, so I guess I'm gonna present this, and some of them made like really sense, just common sense when programming, but there were also like tips where I was like pointing at the screen, we're like, and apparently you should also do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Also, you could notice the vibe in the room. People are like. Okay, whatever. And there were like, <laughs> no questions afterwards. And I was like, oh man, this is a terrible talk. I'm never going to do a talk like this again. Like I only want to speak about things where I feel <laughs> like, I wouldn't say in authority because that yeah. sounds a bit, I don't know, like too much, like I'm, I am I think too much of myself, but at least like topics where I feel that I understand and grasp the whole thing, right? Yeah, I, I, I... I think
0: also if you like that topic in the sense that it's, even if you don't understand it, at least you can expose exactly what your thought process about that topic is because it can be something like, Oh, I haven't studied like too much. I don't know too much about thing X, but I'm very interesting about it. So how am I going about learning this? I'm trying to do this and that it could be like a talk. Okay.
2: I have a secret I'm going to share. Okay. (laughs) About when I start to consider a talk or when I'm invited to a talk, the topic has to be about something that I want to prepare about, but I'm able to do it without any slides or any preparation at all. So I need to feel confident about the topic enough. And the reason is because it's not unprecedented that I just leave it to the last day or last night. Because I haven't had the time to prepare the talk. And also, I love, I found the love about doing talks without slideshows. And, uh, and a lot of people, I think, don't understand this. But I find that people focus a lot more on what I'm saying and what I'm doing whenever I do a talk without a slideshow. Because people tend to lean a lot into the slideshow and to what's being said there and they, their focus reduces considerably from what you are saying into reading the information so they don't lose anything so they don't lose the opportunity of uh, knowing what the slideshows have and that's uh, so why I, I think the most common question when you're showing slideshows is is the slides, slideshow or the presentation going to be recorded or is it going to be available later on because people don't want to lose they don't want the sensation of losing anything and, uh, and i found that i have a lot more questions A lot more people interacting with me. I don't use a slideshow, which makes conference organizers a little bit uneasy.
1: Yes, sometimes I have two versions of a presentation. Like one I'll, the one I'll present at the event, which only has like bullet points on the visuals. And then the other one that I provide later to the conference organizers that has a bit more text on it. Like if they want to upload the presentation somewhere, it's like without basically me talking over it but yeah what you say is also why i really like the the 2020 format at pocket gamer where yeah 20 Mm -hmm. seconds for Mm -hmm. 20 slides part of it is funny because it's also the timing of the slides is automatic so after 20 seconds it's just like boom goes to the next slide and some speakers really struggle with that but on the other hand i also like it because the rule is there shouldn't be any words on the screen it should only be like supporting pictures and that you see that in the speakers that yeah it really sparks a lot of creativity like what they should put on the screen. And like you say, because on the screen are only supporting pictures, people really listen in to to what the speaker has to say. And part of that is also just because of short formats, right? 20 20 times 20 seconds is six minutes and 40 seconds I think so yeah just like short snappy to the point and yeah I think that's really make his, makes a, a talk memorable
0: yeah like for me it was scary to have to do one of those but I think as soon as you you figure it out how the timings work and I remember half an hour before because I had the written text and everything just so I could have guidelines and then I was practicing and I keep cutting words down and I'm like oh yeah I'm going to be there it's going to happen to to be able to say all of these but actually like change a little bit the way I I'm looking into presentations because okay, I could do that, but like for other, even if it's not like a 2020 rule, right? Even if it's like just a normal slide, maybe we I should use more images or I should have like more of those timings of putting something up. And I think it, and that's where I wanted to bring the conversation before, which is thinking a little bit about the different formats of presentations of things you should do because I think that's helpful for people watching as well. And we all been through that, which is saying yes to different formats. We already talked about the 2020, we talked about the fantasy you pitchingly but there's there's a lot of more things like you can be just a moderator of a conversation or even again being part of a panel because it's more like conversational you might have a user, easier way to get used to being speaking to an audience and and yeah so what do you guys feel about just how to direct people into not being afraid of trying those out also. It's okay if you feel you're not able to go straight for talks, how can they just put themselves in that space where they can try it out? Yeah, I think being
1: part of a panel on a topic that really interests you is a good way to to go into it. Because in a panel, there's usually two, three, maybe four panelists even. you can always lean into what another person is saying and then build on to that. So even if the moderator maybe asks a question and you're like, oh, I'm not exactly sure about that. Like maybe someone else will pick up the question. You go, oh, actually, I have something to add to that. So that can really help. I do like it when upfront, before the panel starts the speakers do get to see a list of questions or at least know what to prepare for and maybe they can already think of a few nice anecdotes and like maybe look up some statistics to back up their answers to the questions so yeah also when i'm moderating yeah i really want to make sure that i prep questions that are applicable to to the speakers and if they have a wide variety of backgrounds I want to make sure that there's something for for every person on the panel to shine. There's a question for every one of them where they can really go, oh, actually, this is my topic. And then we really lean into that. And that I think that makes the topic more, gives it more variety. Also, fun anecdote about absolutely the worst moderating experience that I had. I was also again on a Pocket Gamer Helsinki event. I was in Helsinki, so I had, I think I had one British guy and I think three Finns on the panel. And I had a list of
2: questions. Sounds like a joke.
1: Right, exactly. Three Finns and one British guy walk into a bar. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I had a reasonable list of questions, not super long, but definitely enough to fill a panel of 30 minutes and 10 minutes Q&A. But with every questions I asked, the Finns were like, Yes. So, yeah, like yeah, I, the panel was pretty much done after 15 minutes and I just remember sitting there on the stage, staring at my paper with questions and just like drawing a blank, <laughs> shit,
2: what do I do now? Yeah. There's an expectation, right? There's an expectation of having a back and forth and filling in and giving answers that are a little bit more than just yes, no, Mm. or maybe, but I've seen, and I've had that experience as well. And it's definitely nightmarish Viet because you want to do anything about it and you, but you can't really do much. So I, I feel your pain. Answering your question, Mafalda, at one time I was invited for a round table and they asked me specifically to be the person that feverishly defends something that I believed in and I am very open and vocal about it. And they asked me, look, we want someone to counterbalance the other part because they were very feverishly about the opposite side of the topic. And I was like, okay i think i can do that i think it was that time i found out that i'm re- really good at being contrarian about an, a certain <laughs> topic because i if i'm in the mode of you, you allowed me to be in a mode where i need to go and pull every single thing just to defend my points i i will and i've never had that opportunity before i tried to be make everyone shine and allowing everyone to talk and everything and it, it was a surreal experience i enjoyed it it was fun people came uh, people that liked my my points uh, came after to me talk about them. It uh, it was more tiring though. Mm. It it was more exhausting than just flowing and just talking and having a nice chat. And just answering your question about how do you invite other people to do these kind of moments. I would say that if you like to talk with your friends and your colleagues and discuss topics deeply and at lunch or having a coffee and having that discussion there's no reason why you wouldn't like to do something like this in public other than being afraid of speaking in public and that's something that anyone in my opinion will likely be able to work it out it's not easy but i think it's workable to learn how to enjoy it because it's actually fun for me, at least it is.
0: It's a little bit of a way of putting your expertise out there, but un- but also challenging it a little bit, because like then you can understand if you are on the level of your peers, if you if everything is okay, or if you need to, I don't know, if you want to practice a little bit more, but in a safe environment, right? I want to say something about the terrible experience that you just have, because it's it's about having that same experience on the moder- moderating side, because that's exactly... Like the experience you're sharing, Martino. Okay, that does not have more questions now. But I think connecting it with what you were saying about being in a space that you're being contrarian, I think that's another... Maybe yeah, moderating should be like a level up from other things. You should be used to interacting with people by then because you could have an experience where someone is like taking over the conversation. Did it happen to you already? Like I had a little bit of that... in in a few events, but there's like a speaker that wants to go back to a point that we should go forward from where they just like just moving completely away from the topic at hand or something like that. And you need to be graceful about it and try to not just like interrupt the person, but also it's like... I need to steer the conversation ship. And uh, and yeah, so I was curious more like on that side as well. Like what do you guys, do you guys have any stories around the,
1: um, those moderations? No, I think I've been quite lucky. I haven't been in many of those conversations yet. You know, there are definitely times where a panel was like gonna run over time and had to cut it short and things like that. Or like an imbalance in the in the panel where one person has like half of the speaking mm-hmm. time and the other three people have to share the other half basically. So then I would yeah, really pointedly ask questions to the people who haven't spoken much yet. Mary, what do you think? <laughs> just to really give the words to, to one of the other speakers. Of course, only where that makes sense, if, that, if their expertise really matches with the question asked. But I think that's also one of the major jobs of a moderator, just to, to moderate, right? To make sure that, that yeah. Yeah, all the speakers basically have a chance to, to contribute something.
0: Yeah, I would say, like, a thing that solves that is just humor, right? If you're in a situation that you don't know how to handle, if you make the audience laugh a little bit with you, oh, yeah, like, we're going over time now. Or if you make something that helps helps you get out of that. I had that a little bit with a panel about... I did a Women in Games panel with other ambassadors in Lisbon, and we are presenting the points of the Leveling the Playfield Guide. It's just things about how to make, like, a more equal opportunity environment so at companies and things like that and there's like this guy in the audience that was like oh but that happens to everyone or trying to have those talking points that are very combative and at some point it was like just having the audience assistance in some of that which is then when people felt like they were just being contrary in a way that they're not helping the conversation or even in a sense, I don't want to use the word bullying the speakers because it wasn't that bad, but in the sense that speakers are like a little Mm. bit nervous about continuing whatever, just like having the audience like ask questions on top of that saying, oh, but my experience is different or I think this is valid for me because of this. And so I think as a moderator, if you can bring them in and be engaged like that, you can get away on a lot of those situations.
2: What opportunities have? you felt you, you've taken from this, um, yeah, methods.
1: it's just like more visibility, just like standing up there and doing your story and telling your experience that absolutely helps with more visibility. And I think I think it's nowadays to a lesser extent, but like 10, 15 years ago, definitely it wasn't super usual to have a female speaker on, on a conference. So that means that it also wasn't very visible that... To say it this way, women their space in women in this space know their shit right it, it back then it wasn't like very obvious and very visible that women could also be very knowledgeable about the topics that they 're there for, so to share knowledge on stage also really helped to yeah make that more more visible and of course to make myself more and more visible, so it really helped also to roll from one conference into another where. It happened more than once that after my talk, someone came up to me and said, hey, in a few months, I'm organizing this and this conference in another country. Would you like to do this talk? there as well. So yeah, that also just opened
2: up more opportunities for network. I would say that if things are better in the sense of having more presence of women in the games industry it's thanks to people like you that 15 years ago they were being role models and doing talks and, and showing that you do know your shit and then uh, the to do to deal and work in the games industry. And that's, uh, that's really, first of all, it's a good opportunity for all of us, but uh, I do agree with the exposure. Of being out there oh, and showing it, yourself, yeah.
0: It helped me a lot to go to the panel where it was like, so you, my kinga was moderating, and then there was like three other g- girls just like being talking about their expertise, and we were just having a panel on indie in, innovation in indie games versus the state of of t- triple A's and what that meant, but, and by the end of it, I was like, oh yeah, we just did an all-girl panel that wasn't about just yeah. like gender issues. We didn't have to bring awareness to it. Yeah, I
1: started panels like that actually a few years ago also at Pocket Gamer when I noticed that all of the panels that were all women were always about being a woman in the games industry and i'm like men don't have those so we don't need them either let's just talk about our profession so yeah i started <laughs> yeah. Doing, organizing those where it wasn't mentioned anywhere like, oh this is an all-women panel it just happens to be that way and i just wanted people to notice that hey we are professionals so we're going to talk about our profession
0: And again, you still have that impact of having female panels where you you have those role models, but you just don't need to talk about it. Exactly, the impact still exists for the people in the audience and people that see it.
2: In your case, Mufall, it was even more impactful because you you had that "aha" moment, you had that uh, mind blowing moment. Like,
0: oh i'm speaking yeah. here i have to say that it's still reason why I was able to do that is because I started being available in things like the Women in games the women in games activities of the career network and like the ambassador only event and things like that like I was and even for the events that we were organizing like a game dev camp and things like that I was putting myself available in the disposition to talk on those events that i knew was like a little bit of more like safe spaces in the sense that no one else was here <laughs> so like everyone was there at like the support a little bit and i knew there were other women in industry and, and we could talk not only like women issues but also our own jobs and be, being in an environment when that was like a transition right where you had both <laughs> then it was a good open door to then say okay now i can do this but outside like <laughs> out in the world <laughs> where other people
2: are yeah how do you think attending events like pocket gamer can help game developers grow their careers and businesses
1: yeah of course some of the ways how it can help are very clear for example taking part in the witcher indie game taking part in the big indie pitch and having the opportunity there to pitch your game to press publishers maybe even winning and then getting all the press from that so that's a very obvious way the more, maybe a little bit less obvious way is also to basically just connect to other people in the industry. There might be someone you meet today who you cannot really do business with them because maybe you're both developers, both working on completely separate games. But What happens, maybe what happens five years down the line when you're still connected to that person, you just keep in touch and run into conferences every now and then. Then maybe at that point you'll be able to help each other or maybe you they have a good connection for you. They're like, oh, my game is not a fit for this publisher but i know this other guy and they have they're creating a game that is a perfect fit for that publisher but just your network can also help you in that way in in the long term and then of course there's also content at conferences all the talks given by the speakers things that we just talked about There's there can be great takeaways from talks and i have to admit i always tell myself that after a conference i'll review a few of the talks i missed online but it rarely ever happens because when you it's like one of those things you'll be like oh, I'll do that later. And then that never happens. So I should really get better at that because there's really some very valuable talks that are just like online on YouTube, free to watch, like they're in the vault. And like, they might be very relevant now, but maybe they're not super relevant anymore when you finally find the time to, to watch them two years later or something because especially in like mobile game development for example what might be a really good advertising strategy right now could be a terrible strategy in two years that's yeah actually i would recommend people as soon as content comes online look up the talks that you really wanted to see but didn't get to see and just Carve out some time to to rewatch them uh, because you could really learn valuable lessons from it.
0: And it's a way to have those lessons put together in a very short amount of time because then you are learning for someone that had to research that, that had to go around and then. And and I think it's very important to, to be up to date in the industry, especially depending, of course, depends on your role. It's like more or less important, but it's just an awesome, because you'll see people maybe more in the development team saying, oh, but I don't know, I'm an artist or a programmer. I don't really need to know whatever is the new trend. But if you do, then maybe you have you are more empowered to push back on decisions, to push your ideas forward, because then you can relate to that. You can go, oh no, but I've been to this event, and like this is the hottest thing right now. We should do definitely do this.
1: Yeah, definitely. And just also looking outside of your own craftsmanship a little bit helps you just get a more well-rounded view of the industry. Yeah, yeah oh, I and- think that's
0: the most important point actually that you brought because I remember so when I started to have first. International events, which seen here was Frozen, Unicorn. The f- my first year there, the best talks I went to were all the ones that I had no idea about. It was like just like VFX type of things that are like I did nothing and I didn't want. To go on that side of the industry but that was like everything was mind-blowing right because it wasn't my path so was, oh yeah they do that and this is possible and this is a path and oh i should definitely be in touch with this studio or p or person or whatever he expands a lot of your like just your horizon whenever you know that yeah. this exists and is the thing
2: and, and as a producer role or as a studio director Having a broader knowledge and understanding of the different areas of the games industry, but not necessarily knowing everything or an extremely deep knowledge of it is very useful in communicating with your team, communicating to have a better product, generally understanding what your what things are being discussed, right? knowing that weird term that you never heard of right. up until that talk. Um, the, um, for me, Pocket Gamer is part of my strategy as a BizDev, it is the first event of the year that I go to. And uh, this has a particular effect, which is the reason I do it isn't necessarily just to either pitch or, uh, or have it something really ready for January. It's more of, it's the first moments I tick with everyone that I'm interested in along the year to, to tell them, look. We're still here. We are working on this project. It's still very early on, but look at it, maybe you'll like it. And um, and across six or eight months of uh, conferences and events, they will see something that is growing. Uh, So my expectations in my strategy is um, the start of the year usually are very low, but it's more about connecting. And, uh, And as the year progresses, I show evolution of the project. Not yeah, a- I'm
1: mostly on the receiving end of pitches as a game publisher.
2: But what you say is totally makes
1: sense. And I also see that from developers that I meet with several times. Or maybe after the first meeting, like we follow up, I give some feedback and then a few months later or something, we meet again at another conference and I see the progress that they made. So that definitely helps to keep in touch. And that's something that I would recommend for any Every developer who wants to like reach out and keep in touch with publishers, it's first of all, their feedback from their experiences was very valuable, but also that way you show that you listen and you care about um yeah their opinion and also that you want to take them into process take them on your journey of the your development basically so yeah that that's definitely something that that can help and then the other part, of course I also when I go to a conference I have meetings with maybe potential partners or like platforms that we want to go to and setting up deals for that usually takes quite a bit of time so then it also helps to build a relationship and build trust when you've met each other like several times I guess the for the biggest part going to multiple conferences Conferences is also meeting yeah, multiple types of developer subcultures. If you, the people that you run into at GDC, for example, are not going to be exactly the same people that you run into at Pocket Gamer Helsinki, going to several conferences helps you to connect with different developers and different subcultures from the world. But at the same time, if you do meet the same people there, because they're also on the traveling circus, as I call it, it does help to make that connection a bit stronger and really deepen out the plans
2: before the deal actually actually materializes. The thing I'm most proud of is the making new friends that I've then followed up, not for work reasons, but because we've met so many times and we discuss so many things that we end up sharing a little bit about ourselves as people, our personal lives, and we connect. And that's something that, that I take a lot from. I think it brings a lot of value. And even without Thinking about, oh, I need to take something out out of this interaction. I've had, for example, an experience where I've met the same person over five years, three to five times a year, and never really having something that was personally connecting, but personally it was. And five years later, when they found something that they felt it fit really well for me and for my company, they remembered, oh, Maybe I'll talk with you, Diogo Maybe needs help with this uh, particular thing, and uh, and that's that that made me so happy. Just being remembered by someone that uh, you grew professionally and personally through through these experiences. Yeah, we're doing business, in my opinion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but I think that's ex- exactly what networking is for. Just, just for the people that might be watching and hearing that word thrown a lot because we. are keep bringing it up but it's it's just the act of um making professional connections in a way that it can be long-lasting that it can evolve to friendships like it's okay you don't need to just with barriers in whatever that me- that means in the sense that it's okay uh, i'm just interested in this person if they have any value to me because that's a very that they would say a little bit dark way to see it is oh i just only if you have exactly the product i want or even uh, only if you are I don't know, a publisher or whatever or uh, because talking about pocket gamer specifically for example for us is just never monkeys was it is a pc and console studio so it is we're and, we, and that's a conference that is mainly geared toward mobile, despite being, being open to so their pro- platforms and having other opportunities. That's like a main focus and still very relevant for us, because again, maybe... One day we need to port our games and then we connect to people from there like, on, on the mobile side or maybe we have clients that want something more on, on the mobile and then we can okay ask around and have those expertise in our, in, in our group and, and yeah. make cool friends.
1: No, absolutely. As you say, that more methodical approach of only talking to people who are like relevant to you or something. I, I always find it hard to connect with those people because you feel that, that vibe during the meeting, it's, all, it's almost like it doesn't really fit that much into the games industry, right? Because we're all like in the industry mm-hmm. for a passion and we all really love talking about our projects and connecting. And when you have literally had it at parties where someone would run into me like, Hi, my name is, here's my card. What do you do? Oh, I publish mobile games. Oh yeah, we're into PC. Okay, have a great night. And then they're off, you know? (laughs) What about, hey, how you doing? How's your conference going? I'm a person, damn (laughs) it. We should Uh, have a t-shirt.
0: What happened to what's, where's, how's your conference going?
2: (laughs) So like people would know. I'll go into why I think that happens in a sense. When I was starting, I had zero idea of what to expect from what networking was Mm -hmm. and uh, from what academy and from what uh, popular media aims you at is the hustle culture of the U.S. And so I thought when I started that this was the expectation. And so starting out, I might have been a little cringe, but I was very fortunate. In the first event I was at, I met people that said, look, you're young, you're starting out. It's literally my first event. Uh, come with us meet our people and let's talk a little bit about it and they entered me into into it a little bit because they, they maybe they saw someone that they, they they thought was interesting or at least i was not trying to be mean or anything so I, I guess that's that there's that and then later on i've been on the receiving end and seeing seeing that hustle culture being applied to trying to just forcibly meet and it's it's It doesn't feel good. Like you said, it Mm -hmm. feels the vibe, right? There's different ways of maximizing if you really want to.
1: And also, to be honest, that's also what I really like about my job at the Dutch Games Association because... When we're there at an event with a booth and someone comes up to the desk, there's always like some sort of connection I can make to them. Oh, you're you're like, I don't know, a web game developer. Oh, come talk to this Dutch company. Or, oh, you have an ad service. Okay, come talk to that Dutch game company and stuff like that. There's like, from my role for my own company as a mobile game publisher and Web3 publisher, there's only so many things that I can really have a good connection with at that moment from... But from the role from the trade association, there's so much more that I can do. And yeah, that also, I think, helps people who are quite new to the industry and don't really know where to start and don't really know what to do to guide them onto very valuable connections and to ease them a bit more in, into the networking. Yeah. yeah.
0: I was exactly now going to say that, but think it would be great to go have a little just point on the association itself because I think that really wraps up a lot of what we've been saying so far, in the sense that this is what we've learned for us individually and for our companies, like professionally. But then I think the power of all of this is when you then can amplify for your area of influence for your trade association, for your local communities. And because if you know that they exist. And if you don't know anyone else to talk to, you can go to that booth and that will be full of a diverse range of developers that have that passion of just help their scene
1: grow. With the association, there's a big part of it is the events. Obviously, there's other things that we do as well. But like within the Netherlands, there's like knowledge sharing events. But also like when, for example, Sorry that was my dog. With GDC we have we put up a very big Netherlands pavilion where like all the Dutch studios have a chance to showcase but also now at GDC we're putting together like a lounge where basically we offer a networking space for Dutch developers. So that's been that's very much sort of boots on, boots on the ground and a very hands-on approach of facilitating networking. But other than that, as the association, we also sometimes just get like requests from people outside of the industry. Think of something of the news, like they have a news item and they want like a developer to come talk some show. Or it's from organizations from different countries who are basically looking to facilitate networking or, or they're looking for speakers on certain expertise and they're reaching out to us as the trade association hey do you have experts on topic x so things like that i really enjoy that sort of facilitating of First of all, growing the Dutch games industry, just growing a stronger network in in, basically inside of our members, but then also branching out and like really growing that strong Dutch network and branching out to other parts of the world, almost basically like becoming a trademark. Oh, Dutch developers. Okay. And then, yeah, sometimes it's looking at other good examples. I guess that's basically what the Finns have established a little bit. Many people Mm. know that in Finland, there's a very sort of strong connection of developers and a strong network where it's like it's big but it still feels intimate enough that a lot of people know each other and help each other out Mm -hmm. and that is absolutely something that we also want to facilitate within the netherlands
0: yeah i think that's the most powerful thing that we can then bring for the outside which is if you want to show on this part of the show your little box of events because guys if you've seen the quantity of things martina has been to you'll Mm -hmm. understand like how that then can translate to a community and to a network, because I think that's a little bit of how you feel fulfilled afterwards. Not only again for yourself and here for your personal and a professional growth, but then how can you bring all of that back? And yes, yeah, so just a little on.
1: disclaimer: it's not necessary to go to these many events. I know a lot of people are very conscious about their <laughs> carbon footprints and travel and all that. So it's not necessary, but uh, yeah, over the last fifteen ish years, first of all, like for the camera, like the box is a sizable shoebox. Filled to box. the rim. I at Ring. some point I yeah. It at out. some point I threw out almost all the lanyards because they wouldn't fit anymore. I only kept the super pretty ones. <laughs> Look at this one, it's got mm. little bit <laughs> of on it. It's like so cool. I couldn't I yeah, could not wow, throw it away. that away. Yeah, I don't even know smooth. where it's from anymore, but I couldn't throw that away, obviously. But yeah, and there's a like, couple of other knickknacks in here, but for most part, it's only badges, and I haven't counted them recently, but I've easily been over over 200 conference or something throughout all those years in my worst years i think i went to like 15 conferences a year oh yeah that's oh
2: yeah uh, not like that (laughs) that's a lot did
1: you stay at home (laughs)
2: my my heart thinking of all the all the hotels and the travel and and everything just uh, it's fun but it's it was fun but definitely not always useful
1: sometimes i went to an event and i like Mm. evaluated and i was like Okay, I actually didn't really make any new useful connections here. Maybe I could have done without this. So I don't do that many anymore now. I think I do about six or seven a year now. That's also like from the Mm -hmm. combination role of like my own publishing studio and then the Dutch Games Association. Of course.
0: And I think that's a way that you can bring that experience to what you do that now with the association, for example, because if a new dev, it's like they don't have a lot of traveling budgets or cannot go to all the events, at least like bringing the expertise of okay so what you're looking for okay in this conference maybe it's better for this or for that and and my biggest advice i haven't been to all of them yet and um, not by a long shot and but it would be to go to the local ones first just go to your local meetups go to whatever is like a games week type of event that you have there even if it's like b2b2c Joe and i have been talking a little bit about that especially with students that's like Sometimes that's like the first gateway to to get to know people because it's like, yeah, it can be a B2C event. Maybe it's, it's more like gamer vibe, there's like streamers there or whatever. But if, again, we're passionate for the field, maybe you'll find other developers being there. Maybe you'll connect to those people. Yeah, no,
1: absolutely. And there's budget constraints as well to think of. So yeah, like local events, obviously more affordable to attend. And like you say, that that first valuable connections that you can make also with other developers, uh, you can totally do that at bring your own game events where you like playtest each other's work or last month was just like the global game jam and a lot of people from in the industry participates to just do something crazy on the weekend and work with a different team and work in a completely new game but also students or people who don't work in the industry but for example they're a programmer and they're sort of game curious so in, in that sense it's also a very sort of broadening experience and yeah I bet that there's there's local meetups everywhere around the world I remember going to a, a conference in Tehran a few years ago and even there like developers that I talked to were saying like oh yeah we try to get together like once a month to try to comment on each other's games and give each other feedback and like even in a city where you wouldn't expect a big network of game developers even there yeah it wasn't a big network but it was still like substantial network of game developers that are just helping each other out so
2: it can be anywhere in the world really we've done so many conferences it's, it's absolutely amazing. I'm actually working on a talk about logistically preparing for going to these events and I think I will have to pick your brain as well because you have you are leveled up beyond any anyone I probably know so that's amazing. <laughs> I just
0: want to bring my hat to the field and do, you know, like the YouTuber thing of pack with me, like a backpack or whatever. You should have a panel where everyone brings like a bag and like they say, whatever it's in their conference bag. It would be, yeah, I'm the best of the best ideas.
2: I have a very specific way of doing things. And um, to the point that's days ago, I I use the deodorant that I only use during conferences. And, uh, but because my regular one had ran out and uh, my mind triggered into, you are in the mode of work, like (laughs) uh, and after parties and (laughs) don't drink too much this night. Like my mind, like immediately connected with the smell of the deodorant. So that's how specifically I do these things. It was uh, mind blowing. It's really weird. I'm a weird person. Okay. Don't judge me too much, but uh, I'm going to wrap up with the question. What is so great about Dutch game developers. Tell us what's the most amazing thing about Dutch game developers Who, and where can we follow you? Yeah, In- yeah. yeah. Well,
1: yeah, first of all, like the Dutch game industry has not only a lot of talent and creativity, but also... um a lot of innovation is born out of just thinking differently about games. When you think of Dutch games, a lot of people, of course, think of Guerrilla with the Horizon series. It's also games that are very, very creative indie games that were brought into the world. Ridiculous Fishing is maybe a title that some remember where I'm not going to do give any spoilers, but the title of the game says it all. And then okay. the latest really interesting one, for example, was Secret Shuffle, which is uh, like a dance game. But... I know, just very short pitch on it. It's You can play it with a room full of people and you're all listening through your earpods. But then there's different game modes. For example, everyone's dancing to the same music, but one person doesn't hear any music at all. And he's just like trying to awkwardly copy the moves of the rest. And then after 60 seconds or something, you have to try to guess who was the faker. Like really weird stuff like that is just like lots of fun. Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of sort of innovation and creativity. And my last part of the pitch about why Dutch game developers are so great. We also have a very blooming serious game industry. So games for like training or healthcare. Like there, there's a lot of innovation on that front as well. So coming from the Netherlands and absolutely some great projects that also help the industry 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 outside of entertainment so yeah that's uh, I'll stick to that because I can talk to that Oh, I could talk about it all day long. My my socials. I'm mostly active on LinkedIn. You can easily just find me by searching for Martinez Pans. There's not that many, so you can easily pick me out of the list. On I'm not super active on Twitter, but you can find me there as Aston underscore Martin, and that's because I love cars and Aston Martin, Aston Martina. It's it just it was meant to be. It was meant to be. Or if you want to connect any other way, I'm also I can easily be reached by. email. Email and the easiest one of my emails that I can share here is uh, Martina at DutchGamesAssociation.nl. All right. Thank
0: you so much. Thank you for saying yes for this amazing conversation and for showing the best (laughs) lanyards ever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
2: it's a box. I admire that. That's I know. The work and effort that box means—it's incredible. Okay, it's and
1: I'm—I feel very grateful that I've been able to just have all these experiences and all the all these little conference badges should yeah, basically tell me basically where I've been, what I've done in the world,
2: and how many people I've been able to connect with. I'm very grateful for that. So. We've uh, reached an hour, I think, and that's the aim of the Totally Planned podcast because we totally totally planned this. And uh, we have gave all the notes to Martina before. She knew how to get into this uh, platform to do the podcast. Everyone, all the talking points were written down. Mafalda was amazing at it. She woke up really early for this podcast, wasn't it, Mafalda? And, And yeah, thank you for listening in. We now are going to try and grow this podcast more and more with your recommendations. We reached over 100 views on the first one. We have a, a Patreon supporter, <laughs> thank you very much. And we will try to share on our Patreon more things, Lip. bloopers and extras and, and some other opportunities that uh, we're going to share with our, with our single features but is the best one is the best one thank you very much it really means a lot and trying to do our best we're terrible at podcasting but we're trying to do our best so thank you and thank you martin for accepting to talk with two crazy people who wants 12 others
1: thanks for inviting me this was a lot of fun and keep practicing at podcasting just keep doing this
2: thank you <laughs> that's the plan thank <laughs> you thank you bye bye you. cheers